Uh, revival's not for the lost. It is not for the lost. Revival is for the church. Uh, the very word revival is a, a, a reviving of something. It's something that once had vitality, but now it's not as vital as it was, and it has to be revived. That's why when we say, I'm re-emphasizing this, it was already emphasized once, but we're doing it again, so it's being re-emphasized. If you, if you have something, if you're doing schoolwork, you mess it up, your teacher says re do that. You did it once, now you've got to redo it. The problem with revival, well, not the problem with revival, but the thing about revival is that um, people who need revival are people who've maybe backslidden a little bit. If I continue to walk in vitality, do I have to be revived? No. Now, it's, uh, now, now that's not to condemn anybody. Uh, there are special times of visitation that the Father gives us, but we have to understand revivals for the church revival affects the lost through us. As we're revived, there are things we're supposed to go do with that gospel, with that reviving we have, and spread it to others. But revival's for the people in the church. That's why in Acts 3.19 it says, repent and be converted that times of refreshing, or another translation says times of revival. So revival begins with repenting. Well, who can repent? People in the church. You ever heard the word penance? Yeah, penance in, you know, in the Catholic Church, not so much in North America, but in Central South America and other places around the world. People would pay penance. They would have to do certain things because of their sins. Well, we paid penance when we received Jesus. That's when we paid our penance. We, we went to the Father and we said, the only thing you're guilty of as a sinner is not receiving Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That's what you're guilty of. So when you come to the Father and you say, I believe Jesus is Lord, I believe God raised him from the dead, I receive him as my Lord and Savior, that's penance, you're done. Every time after that, like in 1 John where it says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all righteousness. What's that mean? We're repenting after that. We're, 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 we're recognizing, yeah, I, I, I received Jesus, I, I did my penance. Repenting means I've, I've gotten off track somewhere and I'm turning around, and I'm heading a different direction now. Repenting does not mean asking for forgiveness. How many of you have ever asked for forgiveness, but you really didn't have any intention of changing what you were doing? Anybody? Me and three other people. Thank you for the honest people. People. Yeah, wow. Can I get a hack GIB? So the, the, thing, the thing about revival, the thing about revival is that <laughs> I've been talking to preschoolers too long. The, the thing about revival is that it's for the church, and when we flow in revival, it begins with us recognizing there's something in our life that has to change. There's something in our life that has to change that will help our... It doesn't help our relationship with God. It does help our fellowship. It doesn't matter if me and my daughter don't communicate. She'll always be my daughter. But our fellowship can be strained. You'll never improve your relationship with God, ever, ever. You can't. You can't. It doesn't matter what you do. You will always be a son or daughter of God have you, when you've received him as your personal Lord and Savior, but you can improve your fellowship. You can improve your fellowship. That's something different than relationship. So when I repent, it means I'm helping fix this fellowship. I've gotten out of fellowship. I've been involved in something wrong. I've gotten off track. And I'm not talking about something that's uh, grossly terrible. It's just maybe I haven't been diligent like Brother Jordan mentioned in the Word and prayer. You know, I can tell the difference when my Word and prayer time slip. 
and the people around you can tell too. So it's a change for me. It's something that I change. And then what happens is there is a reviving of the things of God in my life, and I can't help but share it. That's when it affects the lost. That's when it affects the lost. It bubbles up and out of me onto the people around me. So that's why when we hear about revival, we hear about all of these people coming into churches and coming in and getting help. Why? Because the people in the church get so full, they go out and they affect others, or I could, we could say infect others. And then those people come in and they realize, hey, there's something here that I need. There's something here that I want. But to begin with revival, it starts with repenting. So what we're going to talk about tonight, again, is religion. Have I gotten religious? Have I gotten religious? Because what religion is, by definition, Merriam-Webster, it's um, religion is a system, well, actually, it's an institutionalized system of, of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. Uh, sometimes we can turn our relationship with God just into a bunch of rules. Jesus didn't have problems with adulteresses. He didn't have problems with thieves. He didn't have problems with murderers. Jesus had problems with religious people. You look all through the Gospels, and the people who didn't like what Jesus did were people who were religious. And in the church, the thing that happens is religion, well, the religious people never flow in revival. They never do. When you have denominations that have create, been created, what happened was there was a move of God, a legitimate move of God in a particular group of people. And revival, of course, it's, it's a living, breathing thing. God is moving. God is doing different things. God is flowing. And because people didn't want to flow, what they did is they started a religion. I'm Methodist. I'm Baptist. I'm Unitarian. I'm Lutheran. Now, no offense if you're from one of those backgrounds. I was Catholic. But the thing is, God did move. God did touch. God did heal. God did do great things. But when God started doing something different, they said, whoa, 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 wait. This is different than our doctrine. Well, what about God's doctrine? They became religious and said, this is what we do, and this is how we do it, and I'm not going to change a thing. So they went from revival and fell into religion. So what happened? As the revival continued to move, they stayed where they were. And we in Word of Faith churches can do the same thing. Well, actually, I should say Word of Faith, uh, Word and Spirit churches. We can do the same thing. If we're not sensitive and paying attention that, hey, I want to make sure that I flow in revival and flow with what God's doing. Now, as we mentioned, one of the byproducts of revival is growth. We're going to have more people coming into the church. We're going to have new people coming into the church. And one of the things that we have to recognize is those people are going to be significantly different than us. Most of you were born and raised in church. Most of you, not all of you, but most of you. What you have to recognize is there is a society out there that wasn't. They weren't born and raised in church. Many of them weren't born and raised with a mom and dad. Uh, many of them, if they were born and raised in, in a home with a mother and father, they weren't taught the principles, the, the, the attitudes, the beliefs that we've been taught. So when those people come in, they're going to believe homosexuality is fine. It's just another way to live. They're going to think abortion's fine. It's my body. It's my choice. And what we have to do is we have to step back and we have to realize, instead of judging, we recognize according to Scripture something's wrong, but instead of judging that person, we have to realize, you know, 
they come from a completely different place than I do. Dr. Dufresne says this. He says, I don't live in their shoes. You ever heard doctor say that? What's he mean? I'm not going to judge that person based on where I am because we can have a tendency, and you've probably heard this in school. You ever heard the word ethnocentric? Ethnocentric just means I judge everybody by my standard, by my upbringing, by the way I was born, by the way I was trained, by the way I was raised. I'm going to judge you based on what I have. But see, I'm a guy that grew up in the hills. I don't know how a guy who grew up in the inner city lives. So instead of judging, now we, we judge according to the word of God, but here's the thing that always moved God, compassion. Not judgment, compassion. So yet yeah, that may be wrong what they're doing. However, am I going to show mercy because that person came from a completely different background than I did? Put myself in their place. If I grew up like they did, would I respond the same way? I'm not saying we embrace sin and justify sin. I'm saying we show mercy to people when they don't act like us, when they don't talk like us, when they don't think like us. Because what will happen is we will have people come in that are in homosexual lifestyle. How do we respond when those people come? I'm not suggesting you go have slumber parties. What I'm asking, where's the compassion? Where's the compassion? We say... Well, we, 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 we've been praying Isaiah 43 that the sons and daughters that God has called to this house will come. Do you realize that when those people come, they'll have issues? They'll have issues. People who come to... Uh, those, uh, those of us who came to this church and weren't raised in this church, when I came to this church, I had issues. A lot of them. I've got to understand that when someone comes through those doors and they have issues, I've got to remember, that was me 17 years ago. That was me 17 years ago. So will I respond to that person with compassion or will I respond to them with religion? Because when you look down the nose of religion, you always criticize. I can't believe they're wearing that. I can't believe they're talking like that. I can't believe they're involved in that. I can't believe they're whatever the case may be. What is that? That's religion. Did you see what, have you ever been to the mall and said to a friend of yours, I can't believe what she's wearing? That's religion. There was a minister one time, he was at, at a restaurant, and there were a bunch of people, and they were drinking, and they were partying, and he started grumbling and bellyaching about them, and he started doing all that, and all of a sudden God said, they're precious to me. Why? Because James says they're the precious fruit of the earth. Is the heathen precious to us? Or do we get, I can't believe she... Did you see what she, her shirt was cut down to? I can't. God said they're precious. They're precious. Look, look, look at this. We're, we're all familiar with this parable, but, but it'll, it'll give, it's a good place to start to talk about this issue. It's the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke 10, 25. Well, actually, let's start in verse 29. Luke 10, 29. And this was a guy who was trying to trip Jesus up, a religious person. And um, it said, But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In verse 30 of Luke 10. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was known as a place where people got robbed a lot. That's why he used that. 
and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So, well, look, who's the thief? John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. This guy was stripped, robbed, left for dead. That sounds like he'll still destroy. So you've got this guy here, and he was traveling, and we can understand because there, there are devil references in the Bible. Uh, this, this, this could symbolize a person who was attacked by the devil. They had something stolen from them. In verse 31, And by chance there came a certain priest that way, and we see he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So what we've got is a guy who came by who was religious. And it said he saw him. In the Greek, the word saw means he saw and recognized what happened. He didn't just see a guy laying over there thinking maybe he's taking a nap, maybe he's taking a rest. No, he saw him and it means he knew what happened. He knew this guy had been stolen from, stripped, left half dead. It said he saw him and he went to the other side of the road. He got as far away from him as he could and he kept going. That's religion. You see, there, there are, will be people, there have been and there will continue to be people into our, coming into our church who have been beaten up by the devil. They have been stripped of things, their kingdom authority. Uh, they've been left as far as the devil's concerned half dead. And where do they come? They come here for what? Help. They come here for help. Do we reach out? Do we show compassion? Do we show mercy? There, now, now listen, guys. If there's a girl that comes and she's, she's wearing dental floss when she comes, you may not be the best one to minister to her. But tell one of your sisters you need to talk to her. And if he says talk to her, girls, don't freak out. Oh, I ain't going to talk to her. She's a hoochie. Look at her. Do they still use that word anymore, hoochie? Yeah. So why? That's religion. Remember what Jesus did? They, they had this woman that they brought to Jesus, and they said she was in the act of adultery. You don't get much more raw than that. Of course, another question, where's the dude? If she was in the act, there was someone else there. But they brought this woman, and they threw her down before Jesus. They said, she's caught in adultery. What's the law say? The law says stone her. Here, stone her, Jesus. Jesus didn't stone her. What did he show? Mercy. Well, if you're without sin, you throw the first stone. And what happened? They realized, well, because according to the law, they'd been in a heap of trouble too of what they'd been involved in. Sometimes we categorize sin differently than God does you'll have someone that comes in you may know somebody at your school and she slept with so many guys she can't even remember you think oh my goodness she's dirty nasty well wait a second we got people that come and sit in church every week and are in fear what's the difference both are sin both are sin as a matter of fact matter of fact Dr. Frayne had made a statement he said God will judge me more severely for spiritual things than he will physical things so that fear that unbelief, that criticism, that strife, that unforgiveness, that's worse than you if we cut you out in the backseat of a Volkswagen with some guy. Wait, somebody drive a Volkswagen? Jill does, is Jill here? Sorry, Jill. A Lamborghini. I don't think anybody drove one of those tonight, all right? I don't think they have a backseat, but that's a different thing. Altogether. 
But see, now, again, understand, I'm not endorsing sin. Does everybody follow me on that? But when people come in and all they've ever known is being lost, all they've never known is not knowing, all they've ever known is what society's told them, that's what we're going to get. So when that girl does come in, and she can't, she can't, she just can't remember how many guys she slept with because most of the time she was drunk. What are we going to show her? Compassion? Are we going to judge her? Oh, my goodness, she's a Mary Magdalene. What will we show? It's, e it's always easier to talk love than it is to live love. Because love is always inconvenienced and love is always willing to be uncomfortable. Do I reach out? Maybe there's someone that comes and they're awkward. They're just socially awkward. They've got big old Coke bottle glasses. They're not very attractive. They don't know how to talk. They don't know how to interact. They obviously got some issues. How do we respond to that person? Who's willing to stand up, walk over, sit down, and talk to that person? Who's willing to invite that person to go eat with you after the service when you all go out to eat? Who's, or we do we sit like the religious guy and think, oh my God, look at that guy. He's going to burn down the sanctuary with those glasses. I've got to get away from that guy. Did you see that guy? I'm like, you're wearing glasses too, but yours aren't real thick. Yours are fine. I sure hope Brother Jordan speaks to that guy. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. What is that? That's religion. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, by this people will know you're my disciples, by your love. Not by the fact you come up here and lift your hands, or you take a lap, or you pray in tongues, or pastor says you're a great believer. Love. What does love do? Love reaches out to what? The lost and hurting. We all understand this priest in this example. He had issues. He avoided somebody who needed this help. What does the Bible say? In 1 Corinthians, it says, listen, at one time, well, it, it says fornicators and adulterers and extortioners and the effeminate, which means homosexual, these people, they won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, that doesn't mean they won't go to heaven. The kingdom of heaven is joy and peace and righteousness and power. What that verse means is people that are involved in that lifestyle won't have much power. They won't have much peace. They aren't walking in much righteousness, and they won't have much joy. Why? Because of the condemnation that comes with being involved in a sinful lifestyle. So that doesn't mean they won't go to heaven. That just means they're not going to walk in heaven on earth. But it says that sort of thing isn't, that they're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. But it also says this. It says, listen, listen and such were some of you. When Paul wrote this letter, he said, and such were some of you. What was he doing? He was bringing them back to the fact, listen, listen, don't judge them because you did the exact same thing. So don't judge them. Step back for a moment. Just, you know, oh, man. I may be on staff, but when I first came, I was a wreck, an absolute wreck. So when someone comes in and I see they've got issues or they've got a problem or they're hurting, I've got compassion. Why? That was me 17 years ago. That was me. And because a, a man named Keith Rogan reached out and showed some compassion, I stayed with it. Because at that time I had another leader in the church say, we didn't think you're going to make it. Well, we didn't know if you were going to make it. And you know what? When I first came back to church, I raised everybody's red flags. I made all kinds of people uncomfortable. So I'm not impressed when somebody says, well, yes, i got to run this person. They made me uncomfortable. I had to check, I had to check my spirit about them. <laughs> oh, 
So, when God says watch that person, means watch them. He didn't say, don't love them. He just said, pay attention. And listen, I've met people, and I've been around people, and I've understood in here they're a little off. But it doesn't mean I freak out about them. I pay attention. I I recognize. I'm not going to put them in leadership or anything like that. I'm going to pay attention. But I'm also not going to shun them. I'm also not going to walk away from them. Why? They were sent here for help. We're given the ministry of reconciliation. Taking someone like this guy, like this guy who was beaten, taking them and helping reconcile them to God. If I shun them, they don't want what I have. They're not interested in what I have. So what should I do? Reach out in mercy. Reach out in love. Reach out in compassion. Am I motivated by compassion or am I motivated by religion? What am I more likely to do when I see that person that is a bit off? Do off people need Jesus? Yes, sir. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I was off. You may not think you were off, but you might be off. Somebody else may think you're off. How you like that? I'm amazed at believers who get persecuted or have somebody that does something to them or treats them mean or judges them or whatever and they act like I'm being persecuted because I'm so godly (laughs) I'm so godly that's why I'm having this persecution when I know for a fact a month later I listen to you do the exact same thing to somebody else you're not being persecuted because you're godly you're reaping from the seed you sow I can't believe they did that to me why would you be mad at the person who's just helping you reap what you sow if you didn't want that harvest don't sow that seed So whenever I'm in a situation and someone has judged me or someone has talked bad about me or someone has lied about me or someone's whatever, the first thing I do, I don't automatically think I'm just being persecuted because I'm so godly. I think, wait a second, did I sow for this? Did I sow for, and there have been times I did. Father, I'm sorry I did the same thing to someone else. I'm just reaping what I sow. I'm sorry, Father. That's what we have to be honest about ourselves. I can't believe she said that about me. Have you been talking like that about someone else? Then you sowed for it. It would be wrong for you not to reap that. It's not right that they did it, but it would be unjust if you didn't reap it because of the law of seed, time, and harvest. God would be a liar if you didn't reap. You put that into motion. Amen? Religion gets us into a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. Um, If we continue reading on, um, verse 32, And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So we've got another religious guy, a Levite. And what's he do? Does the exact same thing. Sees the guy beaten, bruised, stripped, half dead, goes to the other side of the road and walks past him. Why? He's got some religious duty to perform. He's got something that he's focused on instead of showing some compassion for the lost. When I come to church and I see somebody that I don't recognize and I got a friend that I want to talk to, what do I do? What do I do? Well, I got to tell them about, you got to tell them about what? Can that wait till the end of service? Can you call them? You may never see that person again. Maybe you're the person God supplied to reach out to that person because you you wouldn't believe who came into Sweet Frog. <laughs> well, no, what I have to do is I have to recognize, what, what, what do you say? I can see them anytime. 
I can talk to them anytime. I can text them. I can Twitter them. I can Facebook them. I can whatever you people do. I can do any of that. I don't know this person. This is the guy that was beaten and bruised. They may look good. They may be all dressed up. They may say all the right thing. But if they're here, they're here for a reason. I've never met a person who came who was right, who said, I've learned so much. People don't come here because they know more than the pastor. They come here because they need help. And we are part of the people. What's the Bible say in Ephesians 4? That we may grow up, that we may do the work of the ministry. We do it. We reach out. We have compassion. We talk to people. We share with them. I, I tend to be, I, I wasn't always like, well, I, I tend to be a rules guy. If you, what are you laughing about, Jessica? I tend to be pretty black and white. That's the way it is. Bless God, you're wrong. <laughs> what? That's just the way I tend to flow. But I've noticed over the years, God started dealing with me about that, and he says, have some compassion, for goodness sakes, man. Have some mercy on people. So but when, whenever a situation happens and something goes wrong, the first thing I stop and think is, well, wait a second. What's the story here? Why'd that happen? What's the background? We can look at people and we can think, well, what they ought to do is just use your faith in this situation. Well, wait a second. You don't know about all the other things going on in their life. The Word says we have that measure of faith. Well, maybe they've got so many things going on in their life, they've got their faith spent on all this other stuff. One more thing they just can't handle. So before I criticize them for not being in faith that situation, I've got to ask myself, if I was going through what they're going through, could I do it? And be honest about it. Because some people, I've got all the faith in the world. Well, that's a lie. I've got faith. You don't have my faith. I mean, you're awfully full of yourself, aren't you? And other things. But where's the compassion in that? Before I judge, step back and, step back and say, well, wait. Wait a second. I, I don't know what's going on. I just don't know the story. So before I'm going to say a word, well, what's the Bible say? He who spiritual judgeth all things. Number one, you're spiritual. Spiritual people don't run around talking about how they've judged other people. If someone's running around telling you about what they know about this person, they've proven they're disqualified because they're not spiritual. That word, judgeth, means to sift like flour. It means you examine it for your understanding. It doesn't mean you go tell everybody else. You determine it for your understanding, for your knowledge, so that when you make decisions, you don't make that mistake. Where the word says don't judge others, that means you judge, then you tell. The word says you don't judge and tell. It says you can judge for your understanding, but you don't judge and tell. So when someone comes to you with something about someone else, talk, talking them down, you know they're not spiritual. He who's spiritual judges all that. He who's spiritual doesn't broadcast. And you also don't, that's not love. Love doesn't take an account of a wrong done. Religion will make it public knowledge. I've determined this wrong about Brother D, so let me call Micah. Micah, talk to the Starlight Satellite, tell everybody. They have satellite Starlight, right? Well, they got cans and strings anyway. But we see here, what do we have? We have another religious guy. 
We have another the religious guy. He sees somebody lost and hurting, he doesn't help them. Um, the, the word says that, well, let, let's turn to this. Let me make sure that I get the right reference. I think it's Galatians 6.1. Yeah, Galatians 6.1. Let's look at this. I thought this was interesting. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. You guys with me? What are we doing? Well, to be in revival, one of the things we have to do, we have to avoid religion. We have to judge ourselves and ask, have I been religious? What did the religious guy do to that woman in adultery? They tried to tell as many people as they could. Wouldn't that be embarrassing for that dear woman? You're dragging her through the streets half naked yelling, she's an adulteress, she's an adulteress, she's an adulteress. Love covers sin. Now, it doesn't condone it, but it covers it. That's not everybody's business. We can get this taken care of, but we can get it taken care of privately. They weren't thinking about mercy. They weren't thinking about helping the woman. They were just thinking about demonizing her. Have I demonized my brothers and sisters? Have I demonized someone who's coming and they're different than me? These are all things I have to ask myself. Um, Galatians 6.1 says this in the Amplified. Brethren, if any person is overtaken in misconduct or sin of any sort, you who are spiritual, so here we are again, spiritual people, you who are spiritual, who are responsive to and controlled by the Spirit, should set him right and restore and reinstate him without any sense of superiority and with all gentleness, keeping an attentive eye to yourself, lest you should be tempted also. We have to understand that, hey, I was there, and if I don't stay on top of it, I could be there again. I'm not too big to fall. It says here that we don't do it with an air of superiority. What is that? Religion. I'm holier than you. I'm more anointed than you. I've been in the things of God longer than you. What is that? That's a sense of superiority. What does it say? A sense of gentleness. What do you do? You talk to them where they can understand. You show them you genuinely care. You genuinely love them. Sure, they blew it. They made a mistake, whatever the case may be. Doesn't matter if it's somebody who comes in new or somebody who's been here. Now, when you're talking about someone who's been here for a while and they know better, that's a little different situation. That person, to whom much is given, much is required. That person will have to be dealt with a little differently. Why? They knew better. But when we're talking about revival and we're talking about the lost and we're talking about who people come in, what do we have to show? Mercy. Compassion. Not superiority. Look at how they dressed. What a dork. I am awesomely fashionable well that's a bad attitude they're terrible athletes look at me I'm tremendous in athletics that's an air of superiority that's an air of superiority you get a guy who gets around girls he can barely talk to her talk to him because he's so nervous he's so socially off well do we make fun of that or do we understand What is that? It's revival. That, that, that's revival. Why would God send people here if we don't receive them with mercy? He'll go send them to another church. Haven't we prayed these seats be filled? Then God sends people to fill them, and because they're not the people we think should be filling them, we don't reach out to them with compassion. Oh, you don't understand. I got to check in my spirit about that person. So? Really? So? 
you'd be amazed at the number of people that people have had checks in their spirit about and gone off and be, be great help in this ministry because that person who said that was religious but other people actually reached out to help them and care for them listen when people come and they're involved in that sort of stuff if you've got any level of discernment you'll recognize something there ain't right but you're supposed to help that not just running around to everybody and tell them they made me very uncomfortable they made me so uncomfortable I get uncomfortable every time I'm around that person then don't be around them if you can't handle it. But that doesn't mean you shun them. Amen? Sure. Absolutely. Um, reading on here in, in, with the, the parable of the, um, the Good Samaritan, and I think I'm almost out of time. Anybody know when I started? Okay, I think I'm close to out. In verse 33, but a certain Samaritan. Now, the interesting thing about a Samaritan, this, this guy asked, Who, who's... Who's my neighbor? Samaritans were looked down on by the Jews. So Jesus specifically used somebody they looked down on to say, you need to be like him. And it said, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. There it is, compassion. When someone walks through and you can tell there's something not right, do I have compassion? Do I have compassion? Verse 34, and he went to him. Compassion will go to the person. Religion will just talk about them. Compassion will respond. Religion will talk. And he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So what did he do? He went... And we know here physically, Jesus talked about binding up wounds, but we can talk spiritually, emotionally, when someone comes who's been beaten up by the devil. And listen, when people come into the church, they're probably going to have been beat up by the devil. Because the word said when they don't have a shepherd, they're scattered and they faint. They've been beaten. So they come here for help. And what do we do? We help bind up their wounds. Do you realize how good, well, many of you, don't you, don't you realize how good it feels when you're somewhere and you don't know anybody and somebody reaches out to you? Or someone invites you to come be a part of what they're doing and you don't know anybody? Doesn't that feel good? Well, that's how other people feel when you ask them. Hey, come over here and sit with us. Hey, what's going on? What's your name? Hey, we're going out to eat afterwards. Want to go get a bite to eat? That makes people feel so good. Well, Brother Sean, if they're called here, then they'll just be here regardless. People who typically come to the church, people who typically come here to the church don't necessarily know how to be led by the Spirit. I'm not saying that they don't necessarily know. What, 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 when, when a person comes and they don't know, what they're doing is they're judging if they're going to stay in the church by the landscaping by how the parking lot looks, by how clean the facility is, by how nice the children's ministry are, and by how they're received. When you're dealing with someone who may not be as well taught, when you're dealing with someone who may be a little carnal, what they're going to do is they're going to judge if they stay or go based on carnal things. So I can't take the attitude, well, if they were spiritual, then they'd be led by the Spirit of God. They'd know they should be here and they should stay here regardless. I didn't know that after my first visit at this church. I didn't know this after my 500th visit to this church. What is that? That's judging someone based on where I am, not where they are. 
So it's so nice. It is. It's so nice, and, and you understand, when you reach out to somebody and you make them a part and you get them involved. Relationships keep people. It keeps them in church. Building relationships, having interaction. That's why when Jesus talked to pastor about the vision for this church, one of the five things in the vision was fellowship. Fellowship. Getting together, running around, hanging out, doing nice Christian things. Doing nice Christian things. Not egging people's houses, you know, busting up mailboxes, or other sundry vandalism-type activities. Well, what are we talking about? Compassion. What was the main thing about this Samaritan? What was the main thing about this guy Jesus was talking about? He was moved with compassion. That's what he was moved with. So when I meet someone new, when something wrong happens, when something wrong said, when someone maybe doesn't have on the right outfit, what am I moved with? Before I speak a word out of my mouth, ask myself, is this statement motivated by compassion or criticism? Am I trying to say something funny to make my friends laugh and be mean? Because I'm, I'm, I'm in my 40s. People still do that today my age. Am I motivated by compassion for this? Or am I just trying to be cool with my group? Because sometimes what can happen is we can get to joking like that. But listen, if the per other person doesn't think it's a joke, it's not. And there's a problem with the person. The only way they can joke is to cut down everybody else. Now, there's nothing wrong with joking. You guys follow me on that, right? But there's some people I've noticed the only time they joke is when they put other people down. That's a person with low self-esteem is exactly what that is. So if everybody involved in the joke doesn't think it's a joke, it's not a joke. It's hurtful. It can be hurtful. And if it's a young believer, you may boot them out. So the person we've been praying for, the sons and daughters that come, you're responsible for them to come. And, I mean, for them not, for them, well, actually, the prayer's responsible for them coming, but you're responsible for them leaving. So someone who could have been a brother Dale to pastor, somebody who could have been a brother Les to Jordan, you're responsible for their leaving because you wanted to be cool rather than compassionate. See? And, and, and uh, at your all's age, um, middle school, high school, college, that's very easy to do. You all consistently run into people that do that kind of thing. They're more interested in being popular. They're more interested in being like. They're more interested in people digging them than being compassionate. How many people are still in middle school or high school here? Anybody? When's the last time you sat with the nerd of the school? Maybe you are the nerd of the school. <laughs> but when's the last time you reached out to the person everybody makes fun of? <laughs> when's the last time you did that? Those of you in college... Uh, when's the last time you, you, you helped or talked to or showed some, some, some sort of compassion for that person that just isn't right? They're awkward. They're off. They don't think right. When's, uh, I have to ask myself, when's the last time I did that? Because what will happen, whenever you move with compassion, people who are religious and people who are carnal, they'll make fun of you. 
how did Jesus respond? He didn't care. Moving with compassion isn't politically correct. But the thing you have to ask, if, if the, the company you're keeping isn't interested or isn't um, moved with your act of compassion, maybe you got the wrong company. Amen. These are just things we need to think about. So as we grow, let me encourage you. As we grow, let me encourage you. The people when we come Sunday morning that we see sitting in the seats that we're used to seeing all the time, um, the people who come aren't going to be like them. Not going to look like them, not going to dress like them, not going to talk like them, not going to act like them. What are you going to do when you hear your 13th F, F word in the bathroom? I don't mean family. What are you going to do when you hear that? What are you going to do if somebody says that to your kid? What are you going to do if somebody says that to you? Am I going to rail up with righteous indignation? That's such a crock sometimes. You, were, you just got mad. There was nothing righteous about it. You just got mad. What does compassion say? Compassion says, whoa, 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 wait a second. I was there. I've used that word. I remember. I, I remember. I remember. They just need help. Yeah, now, maybe none of you ever used that word. Or maybe you didn't ever heard that word two times. Well, huh? Heathen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just during service. But here's the thing I'm joking. I'm joking, Sean. But let me just encourage you, compassion. Let me just encourage you about compassion. When people come, just have some compassion and understand you were, you were where they were. Here's the thing I always remember. I always remember Pastor Keith and I remember um, Deacon Frank Deaton. Is that his name? Pastor came and, and he had a ponytail and, you know, he's a pothead and wore flannel and boots with his jeans tucked in his boots and just looked like a yahoo. And he said a lot of people in the church didn't trust him, didn't want him around our kids, didn't want nothing to do with him. But he said the thing, what, well, what is that? That's religion. And that's us if we do the same thing to people who come who need help. But he said, Frank Deaton, and then his old pastor's name, I can't remember his name, they showed, they showed love. They didn't put him in the pulpit right off. They didn't you know, give him some sort of position of authority. They didn't put him over the finance department, but they showed him compassion. They showed him love. We're called to do the same thing. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage you as these people come. As, and, and there will be people that come here that I never see. Maybe they don't come to our services. But your responsibility as believers is to reach out to them with compassion. Amen? Amen. That's it, Brother Jordan. Well, let's